Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This episode of Barca Talk is sponsored by Audible. Start your free 30-day trial membership and start listening to some of Audible's over 400,000 titles at audibletrial.com slash barsatalk or follow the link in the notes for this episode. Today on Barca Talk, the president of the Spanish Football Federation is proposing a plan to expand the Spanish Super Cup and take the competition abroad. FC Barcelona B are constantly being reminded that they're boys playing among men. And the first team was frustrated in Lyon and behind in Sevilla, but they ended the week on a high note. And now some news. According to Diario AS, FC Barcelona are very keen to sign Atletico Madrid midfielder Saul Niguez, so keen that they're prepared to offer 110 million euro for him, a fee that would make Saul the most expensive player in the history of Spanish football. His release clause was raised from 80 million to 150 million euro when he signed a new contract with Atletico in 2017. Barcelona were interested in him then as well, but he chose to extend with the Madrid club. According to Sport, Chelsea have also shown interest in Saul, reportedly being willing to pay his full 150 million euro release fee, but Chelsea's two-window transfer ban might keep them out of the running for the Spanish player. Mundo Deportivo reported that Barcelona have denied any links with Saul. Luis Suarez broke his duck on Saturday in the extra time of the La Liga match against Sevilla, Prior to that, in his pre-match press conference, Ernesto Valverde defended the Uruguayans' recent lack of form, saying having him on the pitch is a guarantee that we'll get chances. Before Saturday, Suarez had gone six straight games and 480 minutes without a goal. Many have suggested that he needs more rest, and players like Boateng and Malcolm should fill in for him. But Valverde said he was on the bench last week, so he is rested. To the dedicated observer, it's clear that one game's rest might not be enough. During his second start for FC Barcelona against Valladolid, Kevin Prince Boateng's house was burgled by some opportunistic thieves who absconded with jewelry, designer watches, cash, and other items worth somewhere in the neighborhood of €400,000. And finally, Luis Rubiales, president of the Royal Spanish Football Federation, announced a plan last Tuesday to change the format of the Spanish Super Cup to include four teams and to play the matches outside of Spain. After last year's Super Cup final being played in Morocco, there is already a precedent for taking the preseason competition outside of Spain. Expanding the competition to four teams would be new. The format would include the top two teams in La Liga and the two Copa del Rey finalists, playing one semifinal each and one final to determine the winner, for a total of three matches in the tournament and two matches for the finalists. 
This would keep the demands the same from the Super Cup's traditional format of a two-leg tie between the league and Copa del Rey champions. We'll talk more about this in a moment. All right, this is Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson in Buffalo, New York. And joining me, as always, is Gabriel Quiroga in Madrid. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mutter. I am here in absolutely sunny Madrid, Brian. I know you're super jealous. Beautiful, sunny Madrid. Yeah. Well, oh, man, I'm looking out my window, and the sun was out not 20 minutes ago. And while we were talking before we started recording, I guess the clouds came in. It's Buffalo. <laughs> What do you want? It's, it's, it's Buffalo and it's February. What do you want? Yeah. yeah. At least yeah. it's not freezing cold outside and it's raining, not snowing. Well, so good. I'm happy for always, you. <laughs> yeah. Well, always look at the positives, right, Brian? Always look at the positives. Yeah. It'll get warmer. Man, Megan lately has really just got, she's over it. She, she is so <laughs> over winter. And it's not even been that bad of a winter, but she's just completely ready for it to be over. And I said, yeah, it'll be over soon. You know, it's almost March and. It'll be fine by the end of March. Anyway, again, I'm always talking about the weather. But also remember, in April, we got the countdown left, you know? We got 39 days to Barcelona, buddy. Yeah, we're going to be in Barcelona, going to go to Madrid. We got our tickets for the game. Correct. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But yeah, that's not a whole lot's been happening. Honestly, actually, I'll I'll tell you, because we talked on Thursday, and I was just out of it. I had my head shooting this way and that. So many things happening in so many different areas. We've got the podcast. I've got – I had car troubles. I have school things, both teaching and studenting. And it was just really just messing up my head on Thursday. Since then, I've accomplished a couple of things. I knocked some things off the to-do list. I went out and had a couple of drinks. I relaxed a little bit, and now I'm feeling much more settled and ready to focus on FC Barcelona. Nice. Just like Barca, just like Barca in the second half against Sevilla, right? Right. More focused, <laughs> right? Better results. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, I mentioned this in the news segment, and we, we want to talk about it in a little bit more depth, this proposal that Luis Rubiales has made of expanding the Super Cup into a Final Four format and taking it outside of Spain more regularly and taking it abroad. Apparently he hasn't announced, he hasn't said any particular venue or place that he wants to go, but I I think it's fair to say that he has his eye on the U S and maybe China, you know, all of those big markets that La Liga wants to get into. I mean, for this, you know, super cup, I think it's a good idea to do it abroad because it doesn't really hurt anybody. Uh, especially if you do it in, in advance, right? You can time it with maybe some preseason. So if the Copa del Rey winner and La Liga winner are both doing their training in the United States, for example, you just coordinate and have the Super Cup final there. And I think it would be really cool for American fans to check it out as well because you'll see the superstar players. It's not just going to be, you know, a couple of superstars like you would see in a in a you know, preseason match, for example. So I think in that regard for the Super Cup, I think it's really important to do that and to expand the audience but also to do it with enough planning that not only americans can enjoy it but also the players are aware of the demands for that game as well yeah and you know every year there's some some uh, juggling that has to take place for instance if if barcelona won wins the double like they did last year you know then it's supposed to be the winner of the league versus the copa del rey winner right and if it's the same team, then you have to sort of go down to the – they go to like the runner-up 
from the Copa del Rey. Now, if you're going to expand it to four teams, you're going to have similar kinds of overlap between the league and the Copa del Rey potentially, and that could open up things for for more Spanish teams. And like you said, if they schedule it with um, where the teams are going to be playing their preseason matches on tour, if you can coordinate that, then it'll all be pretty painless and a nice way to market Spanish football abroad outside of the regular season. Yeah, I, I like the four-team format. I think that's really cool because it gets other teams involved as well. So maybe you get the two Copa del Rey and the two La Liga, you know, and you get them faced up. I think that would work really, really cool because then also you don't play this home and away type of thing. It's the winner keeps advancing and you could do it in one week, right? You, both matches start on a Sunday. They finish on a Friday night. Perfect. You know, and it's a good way to get even more exposure for the other teams as well in these other markets like China and the U.S. Right. And so, you're, you know, you're going to see Barcelona, Real, Atletico, Sevilla uh, and maybe. Well, yeah, those would be my the top four picks. But like I said, with having to kind of negotiate sort of uh, teams canceling themselves out by both mm-hmm. doing well mm-hmm. in the league and the Copa del Rey, you might even open things up for, you know, teams that were maybe a little bit lower in the league, maybe, you know, fifth place, something like that. Sure. So, so yeah, it creates all kinds of, of good opportunity. And again, since it's still preseason, you know, the, it doesn't make the super cup any more important as a trophy. Yeah, it's still exactly. a, you know, an, an honorary award. <laughs> it's like the yeah, Gabber like trophy, you know, exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth. I said, it was going to be like a, like a 10% more important thing than a Gamper trophy. You know? Yeah. As, obviously- as things called super go, it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, that's the thing. Like I, again, I like the vision of this because it doesn't really hurt any of the fan bases. It doesn't take a home game away really from a team. You know, like when we were talking with the Girona FC Barcelona match in Miami, right. Earlier this season. So I think it's a good way to get exposure, get other teams involved. And also with, better planning you can accomplish this in the u.s for example especially the teams are doing their preseason campaigns there yeah all right now this this week we've got two classicos coming up and next weekend the la liga classico will happen and because it's the weekend i know that every pena around the world will be having a big watch party for it as you know i've been a guest a couple of at a couple different penas for these classico watch parties and they're always the most exciting watch parties of the season and this weekend's classico will also mark the official launch of the fundraising effort on the part of us here at Barca Talk and the Houston Kules to send some youth players to an FCB camp this summer. Last year, between all of you out there listening and the folks in Houston at that Classico watch party, the Houston Kules were able to raise enough money to send two young players to the FCB camp in Houston last summer. And this year, they're hoping to raise enough to send three kids. So... If you're in the Houston area next weekend and you're looking for a Classico watch party, go to Revelry on Richmond at 1613 Richmond Avenue in Houston. They'll be holding a raffle and giving away a $100 gift card to World Soccer Shop, along with other prizes like training tops and scarves. And you'll get to watch the game with the fine people of the Houston Kool-Aid. Again, that's Revelry on Richmond, 1613 Richmond Avenue in Houston, Texas. The event kicks off at 145, which is a full hour before the match kickoff. So come on down, watch the game, maybe win some prizes, and help fund youth soccer training at FC Barcelona camps. Now, if you can't make it to that event, but you still want to help the effort, there is a GoFundMe page set up. 
for collecting donations for this, and the link is in the show notes for this episode. All right. Now, we do have some other folks in our community to spotlight, and, you know, these aren't just, uh, these aren't shout-outs. This is the Barca Talk Guard of Honor. This this is a high, a high honor <laughs> that we are bestowing. <laughs> no, it's mostly just there's something about the word shout-out that I feel like I'm borrowing it from someone else. It doesn't feel like me, so I, I wanted to come up with another term for this. So the Barca Talk Guard of Honor, and first up, we we have to honor... Jose from the Los Angeles Pena. So Jose definitely gets our first Barca Talk Guard of Honor. I mean, because I've been talking to Jose since, I don't know, I think September, uh, when we started planning this trip together through the uh, LA Pena and so forth. We have been talking and planning and so forth. And and you know how difficult it is to get tickets. I mean, we've been talking through yes. WhatsApp and just trying to plan this, you know, how difficult it is to get, especially when it's a match against Atletico and I have been talking to Jose about how we were going to get the tickets and so forth and looking at the secondary market. And Jose was able to get the tickets uh, for basically all of us at Barca Talk and huge ups for that because it just saved us a huge headache on the first part. We have tickets and we're basically all sitting together. Right. Yeah, that's the key. We're all sitting together. We're all set. And uh, yeah, we're not going to have to. Uh, figure anything out last minute we're not going to have to sit apart from each other because of course you know megan is coming and she's not going to want to be by herself i think you or i would be basically okay being sort of by by ourselves but i i definitely want to be with megan right next to me and i want ideally all three of us and including jose all four of us along with everyone else who's joining on this trip i would i want to be all together and so now that that's worked out huge load off and we're just getting extra excited for this trip. Yeah, I mean, this was kind of the last thing for me to kind of worry about because I was looking at the secondary markets and the tickets were just, you know, 300 euros, 250 and so forth. And also uh, Brian Max is coming as well. So it's going to be six of us. That's right. Together. I forgot about Max for a second. Yeah, Sorry yeah, about so, that. We'll, we'll hear more from him later. But yeah, we're going to have Max yeah. as well. Yeah, so it's going to be six of us. And I, you know, I just cannot thank Jose enough, especially you know, with his help through this and also just communicating, just getting these tickets. Cause like I said, it's just such a huge burden off our shoulders, especially since we're all congregating in Barcelona. So Jose, I'm definitely buying you Kanye as my friend. Now, yeah. secondly, uh, second inductee <laughs> or second recipient of the guard of honor this week is Cameron in hot Springs, Arkansas. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that uh, Cameron is maybe not surrounded by many Barca fans there in Hot Springs, but it's the same way here in Buffalo. And this podcast is one way we can all connect around the world with each other, much like how you and I connect between Buffalo and Madrid. You know, Cameron supports the show through Patreon, and we just want to say thank you for your continuing support, Cameron. You receive the Guard of Honor this week. And you can support the show at Patreon, too, and help keep the podcast going and free for those who can't afford to contribute. One benefit that all Patreon supporters get is a private feed for the show that you can set up in most podcast apps. And the episodes in that feed are free of the few commercials that we do have. We also have weekly bonus episodes and merchandise that are available in a few tiers of support. So follow the link in the show notes or go straight to patreon.com slash that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Barca Talk Pod. The Barca B team are sitting in seventh place of their Segunda B group, having managed only one win in the last six matches. 
Players are rotating in and out as they get injured and return from injuries. But more B-team players are traveling with the first team and extending their contracts. Here with the full report is Max Bluer. If we're being honest, it's not been a great couple of weeks for Batsebe. A heartbreaking 90th minute equaliser by Olot left the boys with one point when they looked on for three and leaves them six points away from the promotion playoff places. Abad Ruiz made his first start on return from injury and overall played well. Although he missed three good chances, his link-up play was bright and lively and he set up the goal, Congolese winger Mo Vales first, with a classy spin away from his marker and pass across goal. But Olot, despite being down to 10 men after they had a player sent off for a filthy tackle on Ricky Puig, managed to get the draw. And the equaliser was a horrible one. Yoki Nithgieta went up to catch a cross and under very little pressure dropped it at the feet of an Olot player who volleyed home. It really was a shame because the keeper had played fantastically up until that point, making a number of crucial saves. And indeed, shortly after his error, saved a point by keeping out a late effort as Olot looked on for an unlikely winner. You could say that it was the typical performance of a team of kids competing in a man's lead. Batasabea dominated possession, but were condemned by errors in both penalty areas, and by the end were clinging on for a point. There were a couple of bright spots from the game, though. Abel de returned from injury, and Kike Severio came on for the final 10 minutes for his first appearance since October after recovering from a hamstring injury. But we seem to be in a state of one in and one out at the moment, at least on the wings, as Carlos Perez, the 21-year-old right winger who's been one of Batasabea's players of the season, Lint off with a muscle injury that the club later confirmed will keep him out for about seven weeks. As for off-the-pitch matters, centre-back Jorge Cuenca, who has enjoyed first-team minutes this season, has signed a new contract with the club, extending it until June 2021 with an option of another two years. His buyout clause is €30 million, Euros, which rises to €100 million should he be offered a first-team contract, which sadly doesn't look too likely in the near future, as there are currently six first-team centre-backs milling about at the club, and at the moment he isn't even getting a regular game for the B-team. Although, to be fair, Murillo is only on loan. Vermaelen is permanently injured. The club is allegedly discussing selling Umtiti, and Tobido is unproven, to say the least. In other exciting news, Ezquieta, Iñaki Peña and Musa Wage all travelled with the first team to Lyon, with Iñaki making the bench for the goalless draw in the Champions League first leg round of 16. Bearing in mind the struggles Barca have had in the fullback position, Sergio Roberto has been ropey defensively when he's had to fill in for Samedo, and Miranda is not quite ready to be back up for Jordi Alba, Wage may well make his first team debut before this season ends, possibly to give Semedo a rest before the big games. Staying with the fullback theme, and Sport reckon that Barca are interested in 18-year-old Brazilian left-back Luan Candido of Palmeiras. You won't be surprised to learn that this fullback, being Brazilian, is great going forward, but needs to work on the defensive side of his game. Luan played on the opposite side to Emerson, the other Brazilian fullback Barcelona signed last month in the under-20 South American Championships earlier this year. Should he arrive in the summer, Luan would probably be sent off to the B team, with an eye to sending him up to the first team squad, much as is being done with Musa Wage. Barca do have to bear in mind, though, that both the first and second team squads are limited in the number of non-EU players allowed, and so it's possible that Luan would be sent out on loan were he to sign in the summer. Moving up the pitch, but staying in Brazil... And Mundo Deportivo reckon that recently signed Brazilian striker Gabriel Noveche might be able to make his first team debut within a month. The first stage of the paperwork took much less time than expected, and so Noveche could be available in the next few weeks. And just as well, because, as we saw in the Alok game, Barcebe are not efficient enough in front of goal. Abadariz and Rafa Mojica are both fine players with a lot of potential, who will surely score many, many goals in their careers. 
but they only have seven goals between them this season, and it certainly wouldn't do them any harm to have an extra body up front to relieve some of the pressure. Norvege has actually already made his debut in a Barca shirt. He started a midweek friendly against Chinese side CF Shejan at the Mini Estadi on the 13th of February. Barca dominated and managed a 3-1 win thanks to excellent goals from Merveille and Guillaume Jaime, as well as an own goal forced by some excellent play by Samuel McGuane. Another interesting snippet of gossip emerged this week when Sport published an article claiming that a condition of Valverde's recent renovation as Barca manager was for him to promote a certain number of Barca B players to the first team. Valverde, to be fair to him, was said to have happily accepted this condition and suggested that he saw Abel Ruiz, Oriel Busquets, Ricky Puig, Juan Miranda and Musa Wage as the most likely candidates to get a first-team contract. Interestingly, Valverde didn't mention Iñaki Peña. This despite reports in Marca that Iñaki was being considered as Tostegan's number two next year, should Jasper Chilison leave the club as expected. Perhaps Marca is more clued in than sport, or perhaps the other way around. I guess we'll just have to wait till the summer to find out. By the time you hear this, Barca Bay would have played their match on Sunday against Atletico Baleares, while next weekend, Garcia Pimienta and co., will host Ontignant as they look to get their promotion push back on track. That was Max Bluer. Now on to the first team, starting with the scoreless draw midweek in the Champions League against Lyon. Barcelona took 25 shots. Only five of them were on target, and of course there were no goals. Lyon's goalkeeper, Anthony Lopez, wasn't very challenged by any of the on-target attempts. Meanwhile, the couple of chances Lyon had were saved by Ter Stegen, which was good. To just look at the scoreline, you might be a little surprised, but, you know, these things happen. But to watch the game, it was perhaps the single most frustrating match of the season yet for us. Yeah, I would say it's the most frustrating because, you know, we thought that Valverde had learned from last year about managing the players, adapting his tactics for this special moment, these tough matches away in European cities, you know, especially like in Lyon that night. But man, it was so frustrating. I mean, 25 shots, yes. But truly, how dangerous were those attacking opportunities? They weren't. You know, obviously, they're just stats of 25 shots and five, you know, shots on target. But man, Brian, I was so frustrated in this game because, you know, we want everything, you know, as Barca fans, we want the treble, right? And we have the team. We have the depth. We have the talent to do so. It's just a matter of managing it. And man, to come away with no way goals was really frustrating. Oh, yeah. It was incredibly frustrating, especially when, again, the, the, the headline for me was, why don't we have anything going on on the right side of the pitch in attack, right? I mean, Semedo was just sort of stuck out there by himself when he did try to go forward he didn't have any support had to rotate the ball back and all of those shots came from Jordi Alba's side of the field that was I mean it was the most stark example of that that I've seen all season long and I know you've been talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks and I and I've heard you and I recognize (laughs) what you're talking about but it finally became crystal clear in this match that we've got nothing going on on the right-hand side, and it made it so much easier for Lyon to shut Messi down. You know, these these are the things that we've been, you know, if I was running for president, this would be like my platform, right side, right side, <laughs> and right side, you know? <laughs> well, both sides. Yeah, I mean, both sides, but, you know, don't neglect the right side. Exactly, you know? yeah. But again, this goes back to Valverde, right? We, we've always talked about, is he too small time for these big moments? Is he too comfortable 
just doing fine in La Liga because as we've seen all season, we've been okay. You know, we've had some frustrating matches where we haven't looked the greatest, but overall in the last, you know, 30 matches, we have the maximum. I mean, we have a lot of points. We have a 10 point lead in La Liga and this type of strategy will work most times, you know, like we say against Ibar or Villarreal, for example, right? Because those teams don't have the talent, but when you're playing in champions league, it's such a different animal. You have to come up with something special, something tactically special because, they are scouting two or three weeks in advance just to find some sort of wrinkle. And Valverde, just he just assumes that since we have Messi and Suarez, that we're going to have the goals and just let it go, right? Now, to me, I, I cannot believe that after looking at film this whole season, how he just continues to let Messi use that middle left and neglect the right by either not putting someone else there. Now, you just mentioned Semedo not going up there. Again, this goes back to Valverde being conservative, right? He let Roberto block Semedo, basically, so that they had to have that side covered. So by doing that, you're basically playing one-handed. Right. And that is super easy for a defense to do that, right? And once, you know, one of the things that makes our attacking really amazing or next level is the unpredictability, right? But when you make it predictable... I don't care what team you're playing. It's super, it's not super easy. It's much easier to defend. And that's what happened in Lyon. Yeah. So, and you've already intimated this, but it seems clear that under Valverde, Messi has too much freedom, right? Yeah. That's the thing. You know, he has too much freedom because if you take a look at the scheme of Messi's career, he's always been on the right wing, right? And under Pep, he had that discipline to, to be on the right wing and to cut into the middle when he could. And now with Valverde, you know, I, I don't know if it's Valverde just not putting his thumbprint on the team and being more forceful with Suarez and Messi, for example. But again, Messi has too much carte blanche, right? Now, if you let, no, I'm not against him having the carte blanche because he's Messi, but you have to have the balance up there, either have two forwards or have another forward like we saw with Dembele on the right side, completely changes the, to the game, you know? So again, if Messi wants to play central midfielder, I'm perfectly fine with that because he is such a special player, right? He's the best player we've ever seen. But you have to counteract that with having balance up there. You cannot just have middle left side and neglect the right side. Again, defending just becomes that much easier. Right, exactly. And it seems as though in the last couple of years, and maybe it's always been this way for Messi, but other managers were able to convince him to stay disciplined, stay out to the right. And with Valverde, it hasn't happened in quite such a way, but it definitely, it's obvious that what he is most comfortable doing is starting from the right and working to the left because of how incredible his left foot is. And without someone to check him on that, then he's not, if you just let him do what he's most comfortable doing, this is the result. Now, if you want to let him do that and you want to let him just do what he's most comfortable doing, that's fine. But you have to come up with some other solution for how to stretch out the defense from left to right. So you need to have someone else coming in on the right. And we finally, finally saw the solution in La Liga, but we'll talk about that later. Now, the other issue that keeps coming up, and I mentioned this in the news segment about how Valverde defended Suarez and also mentioned that he was on the bench last week, so he's rested, is that Suarez looks... I don't know if he looks tired, but he definitely looks like he's in pain. We know he's had knee problems this year. Meanwhile, Malcolm has played. Oh, wait. Um, let me see. Let me check my. How, <laughs> Gabriel, do you, how many minutes has Malcolm played since the Real Madrid game where he scored? 0.0. 0.0 minutes. Yeah. 
that seems like a problem to me. It is a problem. You know, we, you know, with, with our team, we have so much depth right now. Right. And we have, we, we need to have accountability as well. Right. Because that's the thing. It's not that Suarez hasn't helped us throughout the seasons. You know, he's a great player. He's a great number nine and, and so forth. But in this last run, he hasn't been able to prove and score goals. And that's ultimately what is the most important. Now, Valverde defends him because he says he's a bull in a China shop, essentially, which he is. But you also have to score goals, especially in this, in this tough month. Now, I just want to have more accountability where Valverde says, okay, look, the last five matches, you haven't done anything. I'm going to try Malcolm. Give Malcolm that opportunity. If Malcolm fails, then you can say always, okay, well, I tried one game. I go back to Suarez. But what if Malcolm gives you something? Then all of a sudden that helps the team, that lifts the team. We're not so dependent on Messi. And maybe we get a goal in Lyon. We get that uh, precious away goal. Right. And as we've seen, Malcolm is young, hungry, skilled, fast, but he hasn't had many minutes with the team. So you ha- you do have to manage your expectations with him but it's also good to just put him out there and now on the other hand with Suarez it's not uncommon for a player like him to go five six games without a goal and we can accept that if he's helping to set up other goals if he's creating more chances and we're winning and we're getting the results that we want if all of those things are in place that's fine but just to watch him play again I've said this before you can tell that he's trying. He's really, really trying. It's not for lack of effort. It's that his body just is not up, I don't think, anyway. I mean, I, I don't know the the specs on his uh, physical condition at the moment. But it seems to me, just from watching on TV, that he's trying his best, but his body is not up for what he wants to do. I mean, just think about the amount of giveaways he's done recently. You know, not not only bad passing, but trying to hold the ball, trying to do too much with a move where his body's just not reacting. We can see it. And I that to me is always baffling is that you can see it happening when he's trying to get to the ball. He just can't do it. When he's supposed to shoot, he passes. When he's supposed to pass, he shoots. He's always picking the wrong move. Now, like I said, like I said, I just want to give Malcolm the opportunity just because of the pure speed that he has. Right. We saw it in the Real Madrid match, how he was out, you know, outbursting Marcelo on that side. Now, can you imagine just having a point man that has that speed and Messi just giving those through balls? Then all of a sudden it's a different dynamic in our attacking. And who knows what Malcolm can do? I'm not saying he's the savior, not not saying that at all, but at the same time, give him the opportunity. I want Valverde to exhaust our resources. I do not want us to have the, the same thing that happened in Roma where we said we should have done, uh, we should have had this player, we should have had this player. We didn't because we were stubborn in our formation and our tactics. Right. Now, uh, one final point to talk about, and you mentioned it before, but just to dig in a little bit more, is lining up Sergio Roberto on the generally the right side of the midfield and Semedo at right back. How do you think that worked out? I thought it worked out horribly <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, this isn't Semedo's first Champions League match, right? No. He has enough experience playing now for Barca. So the, I don't understand why Valverde is using white gloves with him in this match because you can see that Sergio Roberto was helping to defend that right side and it didn't even help because we were still getting bombarded on that left side with that. So it wasn't like it, that we completely shut them down. 
Now, for me, it's just, you know, let Semedo play and let Sergio Roberto push up because if Sergio Roberto pushes up, then they have that connection with Semedo. They use that right side and that opens up the middle for Messi. And who knows what happens? But, you know, Semedo and Sergio Roberto were restricted to that to that side to protect that corner. And ultimately that hindered Barcelona. And again, that's the thing is that Valverde has to be daring. You know, he's so conservative, you know, with the second half substitutes that he was doing, he was going for the tie. Like, yeah. this, this is just not our mentality. We have such great players. We should go after Lyon. We should, especially when their best players are down and they were losing players to injury left and right. And they had to go deep into young players that didn't have any caps. So we have to take advantage. We have to be kind of the shark in the water, smelling blood, you know, go after it. Imagine if we had the, the formation we changed to in the Sevilla match. If we had more balance with Dembele and Coutinho and Suarez, and who knows what would happen. Again, the most important thing in Champions League is to get that away goal because on the next tie on the back, who knows what can happen. You know, if Leon gets that away goal, then all of a sudden we're screwed. Right. And going back to the Sergio Roberto Semedo situation, you know, I'm always encouraged when I see that Sergio Roberto is going to play in midfield, but that's assuming that he's going to be able to get forward. And as you mentioned, he wasn't really permitted to go forward he was there as a secondary right back he was there backing up Semedo and what's really interesting is that lately over the last week or two I've heard more and more people refer to Sergio Roberto giving Semedo a break at right back when at the beginning of the season Sergi was the preferred right back and Semedo has gradually over time ascended to this position and I I just I feel like it's almost short-sighted to say that you know, Semedo's the number one right back and Sergio Roberto's his backup. Like, no, it's actually still, I think, maybe the other way around. But that's that might just be my own personal thing. But the important thing about this match to say is that Sergio Roberto could have been more effective in his position if he were permitted to be a midfielder rather than a backup fullback or a supplemental fullback. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, again, as we have always talked about, what we're missing sometimes with our midfield is the ability to read the tiki-taka, right? The movement, the quick passing and to go, right? Especially like with Vidal, for example, not to single him out, but for him, for example, Sergio Roberto has that in his DNA, right? That's what makes him a great utility player, right? The way he's able to move and pass. Now, when you constrict him to being back there, then all of a sudden we're basically playing with 10 men. Right. We don't have the dynamicism to go forward. We're not being um, daring in the front third and we depend so much on Suarez and Messi. And when Suarez is losing the ball and we're doing all these chances that lead to directly to counters, we just get tired. And this is a game we do not want to play with other teams where we're just directly going uh, attacking play, counter, attacking play, counter, because for us it's too difficult. We prefer doing the possession, working around and finding a crack and hitting a shot, which is perfectly fine because it works for both. But when you limit the the midfielder, for example, Sergio Roberto in this case, from going forward into being outlet, then all of a sudden, as we saw in this Leon match, we were always middle and left, middle and left all game. Right, and it allowed them, it allowed Leon to just shift pretty much all of their resources over to the left, shut Messi down, and even what's surprising actually is considering how predictable we became, how unthreatening we were on the right side. We still managed to get 25 shots off 
almost all of them coming in from the left. Yeah, I mean, yes, it is still impressive that we were able to do that. But again, the quality of shots were not high quality. So you're basically just throwing a bunch of paint to the wall and hopefully something sticks, right? That's the kind of idea with this attack. Again, if you were to rewatch that match, just watch how many times there was two or three guy Leon defenders around Messi. Right. And Messi could not make that pass to the left side. I mean, they they scouted, they understood, and it was difficult for Messi. I mean, it was. He had to work really, really hard just to get through. I mean, how many times did he have to beat three defenders just to get a pass out? And that normally doesn't happen, right? Because that's the thing. Leon was able to basically kind of play an amoeba defense around him, and they were also to shift the fullbacks to, to that side where Jordi Alba was. So anytime Jordi Alba had that pressure going up to make the pass, there was no... Uh, lane to make the pass right there was so much traffic and so forth so yes they were able to get 25 shots but of those you know they said five actually came on target but of those five how many really were that dangerous maybe two maybe two. i I think maybe two like the one that Messi hit right to the keeper and maybe the one that hit the crossbar but that's it you know everything else was yeah it was on target but it was easy saves for the keeper so again brian this was just a frustrating game because you know we just want the evolution we want our team to adapt to these uh, circumstances, especially in Champions League, where it's just two matches, you know, home and away, and anything can happen. Referee, VAR, the weather, the crowd, <laughs> injuries. There's so many variables, you know, and that's why it's so difficult to advance. And, you know, hopefully we have learned from the Sevilla match, which we'll talk about next, that there is maybe a light at the end of the tunnel and some hope. Right. So, in fact, let's do that right now. Let's shift to the Sevilla match. This was in La Liga on Saturday. It was match day 25. Barcelona were on the road playing at the Ramon Sanchez Pizjuan. It was a 4-2 win in the end. And this is how we'll finish up the episode today. Because after the heavily lopsided tactics against Lyon didn't get us the result we were hoping for there, Valverde started this match with a couple of changes in the lineup, but the exact same tactics. Sevilla's second goal to go ahead in the 42nd minute I think might have woken him up though, Valverde that is, because he made two changes right at the start of the second half. He put in Dembele and he put in Sergio Roberto. And one of these, he because he put in Dembele for Vidal. And one of, so that change especially gave the team a newfound balance in attack and spread Sevilla's defense wide. And it created the space for our three goals in the second half, including Messi's, 50th career hat trick and his third of the season in all competitions that was his second in La Liga he also had one in the Champions League so just that one change and suddenly I I saw the light <laughs> well I want to I want to first talk about the lineup okay um, we you know first we saw him TT come back which was great right yes. the other thing was the midfield <laughs> I mean we <laughs> talked about this 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 concrete kind of midfield of Rakitic Vidal Busquets right and and again, the person that's out of place here is Vidal, right? right? Because Busquets and Rakitic have played together for so long. It's not them. We just need a creative midfielder or a holder, right? For example, putting Alenia in there or Sergio Roberto, right? Or someone like this, right? But no, we go with Vidal. And again, we knew what was going to happen. We were going to have no creativity. We were going to be 400% dependent on Messi making any type of passing through the through balls to Suarez. And that's exactly what happened in the first half. The other thing too, Brian, with Umtiti, I don't know how you can, I don't know, with this formation, just expose Umtiti as bad as he did in this first half. Because 
This is Umtiti's first action since November against Sevilla at Sevilla, which Sevilla is, you know, obviously in shape. It's an away game. It's difficult. You know, maybe trying to put Umtiti 10 minutes against Valladolid at the end of the match and maybe another 10 minutes against Lyon just to get his feet wet, maybe. But to expose him, compl- I mean, I just cannot believe the formation that Valverde picked and the tactics he picked because Umtiti, unfortunately, was directly kind of responsible for those two goals. Right. And one in particular where he was tracking uh, Ben Yedder mm-hmm. and then he just he squared up, stopped moving. And that actually allowed Ben Yedder to make the pass out to Navas. Yeah, it was the first goal. But you know what started that, too, was Messi's pass when the attacking third where Sevilla had him surrounded and kind of Messi made this kind of lazy, bad pass. And it directly led to this counter. And like you said, when TT got stood up. And he didn't know how to react. He just forgot his kind of, you know, intuition of what to do. And Jesus Navas was able to score. When was the last time Jesus Navas got a goal, man? Like I, I haven't. Ago? I did not check that <laughs> stat. But it's probably been a, a, a while. Yeah. But the, I, I have here in my notes, the best part of this was the tweet I saw. I, I think it was from Ben Hayward, who's a, a writer. He said, God loses ball, Jesus scores. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really good. <laughs> nice. Yeah, he was he was Sevilla's savior. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But again, you know, I just don't understand, like, okay, so you you know that Utiti is going to be basically on one leg because of his match fitness, right? So either put Busquets more closely to him to kind of protect him a little bit, or Eventually, what they did in the second half was go to a 4-2-3-1 where they had Rakitic and Busquets both protecting that back line. But to expose Umtiti like that, I mean, you could just tell he just was unfit. And he kind of was, I mean, eventually he got his legs under him, but it just took him a while. But again, he directly led to two goals and we were down 2-1 to one essentially or 2-0. Right. And that's exactly what you would expect when a player, no matter how good they are, when they've been out for so long. And just like you said, instead of starting Umtiti, you know, we should have maybe brought him in for 10 minutes in a previous match or, you know, again, started Longley over Mellon. St- actually, I, for all I know, Vermelon's injured right now. Yeah, but, he is. Yeah, <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I just I just heard that Longley was sick. So that was the other thing. Uh, you know, I, I kind of was hoping that PK could get a day off. Because in this match, he looked a little ragged. He wasn't as sharp as he's been all month. You know, he's been on fire this whole month, essentially. He's kind of, bit, not kind of, he has been Barcelona's, you know, one of two best players, obviously with Messi. Just his defensive prowess. But in this match, he definitely looked a little ragged. Again, I know it's difficult to take chances with Murillo, right? But maybe he plays a half and then you bring PK in a half or something like this. But again, the Vidal... So, uh, you know, started for me is the most baffling as right. always because he brings nothing. He's just not. He's just not good enough to play for Barca in the starting eleven. Right, right. Maybe he once was, but it doesn't seem like he's he's quite there now. No. But so let's talk about the second half adjustments. I was encouraged not just by the changes themselves, but the fact that he wasn't waiting. He made the change right at halftime. Second half started with a different lineup, Dembele, Sergio Roberto were on. I don't quite get the Sergio Roberto change because I felt like Semedo was yeah. having a perfectly good game. But the the important change really was taking out Vidal and putting in Dembele, thus leaving in Suarez and Coutinho and, of course, Messi. 
Yeah, I even tweeted. I was like, yep, it's Tomato's fault. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he, he had nothing to do with anything that was happening. It wasn't because his lack of attacking or anything like this. It was nothing like that. But okay, fine. He put Sergio Roberto. I get it. But again, Brian, finally, the gods listened to me. You know, yes. I was preaching. And also, when I saw Dembella on the right side, I said, hallelujah. You know, and sure enough, what happened? We had five right side attack that led to two goals and five quality attacking on shot. And again, it's it's just so simple, Brian. It's just spacing, and it's about spreading the defense wide. And look what happened. Messi had a lot of shooting lanes, and he was able to convert and get a hat trick. Let me let me tell, let me bring it back to this. Okay, compared to Belly, now to September, like what a difference he's made in his ability to use his speed, his ability and his connection with Messi, but also just how every time he touches the ball. I always feel like there's an amazing play may happen at any minute. And I feel like in September, he still was trying to figure out what he was doing. And more importantly, he was losing a lot of balls. And now he's not doing that very often. But man, how many times did he just run that right wing where that defender was just like, oh, no. And he like turned around <laughs> and started running, you know, every time to belly, man. Yeah. man, I, I love watching him play, especially on that right side. I just think. It gives us so much attacking prowess. It gives Messi the playmaking. Suarez all of a sudden gets more room. I mean, it just helps. That even Coutinho looked like he had more teeth in the attacking as well. Exactly, because it, it all it all plays out across the field. You spread things out wide to the right a little bit more. Now you create more space in the middle for Messi on the left for Coutinho, in the middle for Suarez as well. Everything gets more balanced and it just you you're creating more room for everyone to work. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing too, Brian, it was just beautiful to watch as well. Yeah, it looked good again. Yeah, it was like the joy came back, right? Because two things, it limited Sevilla. Sevilla could not counter anymore because they had to keep their eye on Dembele. How many balls did Rakitic win in that second half? Oh, he man. was all over the place, right? Yeah. Because he did not have to worry about going forward anymore. He was just reading the play, especially on that second goal for Messi, I believe, where he came with the interception. But again, when you, everyone's always asking, what is Rakitic doing? What is Rakitic? For me, in this 4-2-3-1, it's the perfect role for Rakitic and Busquets because they both can protect the defenders. Busquets can do what he does great, is going up and read the play, and even Rakitic as well. And then you just leave the front four, do what they do best, and score goals and just be brilliant. And just, it was just beautiful to watch again. The second half, I was just having so much joy with the amount of give and goes and plays and through balls that were happening. And it was just beautiful to watch. And that was Barca football yet again. Yeah, it was It was reminiscent. It, I almost, like, I felt nostalgic for a second. I forget what play it was exactly, but because, you know, I'm I'm kind of like an emotion-y guy. And when I first started watching Barca in, back in 2010, they would just do some things that would honestly make me cry from just the joy of the beauty that they were creating and the goals they were scoring as well. It's, you know, you need both. It's a, you need two heat, two kinds of heat there. But the last couple of years, I would say that there have only been brief momentary flashes of that kind of, that kind of beauty that sort of like, I don't know, it touches me in terms of like art and in this second half, I saw so much more of that. And there was one play in particular that was so, so elegant, so beautiful. And I mean, it must have been one of the goals. 
but it it just brought a tiny little I just I just welled up a little bit. You know, I don't sob over this stuff, but I just got a little bit of tear in my eye. It was that good. I thought you were going to tell me which goal. I can't remember which goal. <laughs> oh, I can't okay. remember which which one it was. Well, well, let's 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 dive into Messi's Dios performance because people were tweeting at me. What is it that you say? We have Messi and you don't. Right. So again, uh, let's just. I just quickly want to go through the goals because the, each goal was was awesome, especially the third one. You know, I love a spoon. And the first goal, I mean, the technique on that volley was just brilliant. Brakatic was able to get space, a nice little pass, and Messi was able to one-time volley it into the top left corner, and that was just a, a thing of beauty. Once we got that goal, Brian, I was like, okay, maybe we're not going to be – at least we'll get some points here, you know, because at least we tied it up, and that will give us some confidence going forward, especially with – the beauty of the goal that it was. What did you think about that volley? Was that the one that put a tear in your eye? No, no, it was definitely one okay. of the second half ones. Okay. But, okay. but yeah, this, man, yeah, the volley was so spot on. I mean, that's, that's messy at, at his finest. I mean, the technique on that is so difficult to master, you know, because, you know, you're playing already in a match, the variables that happen to be able to hit it like that. And also not, not only hit it with like good pace and strength, but also to accurately put it in the top left corner, which is a thing of beauty. So the second goal for me, though, was kind of the tie turning play because that's when we were in our new formation. Rakitic makes the steal, essentially, right? Dembele was able to get it, and then Messi was able to have space inside the box because the defense was spread thin, and he was able to use his right foot and he scored through, and it was a really nice finish, obviously. But obviously, it started with Rakitic reading the play. Really, really bad pass by the goalkeeper. And he was able to just lead the play to Dembele. Dembele goes to the right, cuts in, finds Messi, shot, score, 2-2. Yeah, it almost looked too easy once we had the right the right people in the right places to do it. Yeah. I mean, we got gifted from Vasilik with that really poor clearance. Rakitic just steps up and takes it. But uh, yeah, once he gets it out to Dembele, it was it was uh, it was over. Yeah, and I, and on that play, it's kind of funny because I don't know if the shadows had something to do with it, where the keeper maybe not had seen Rakitic in the shadows because the jersey kind of blended in. Because on some of the replays, it kind of you could see you can't really see Rakitic all that well, but obviously Rakitic with a great play and then just automatically leading it to Dembele. Now the third goal for me was a really nice finish and heads up play by Messi. Obviously, Elena came into the match, which was great. I love to see that, especially he's getting more playing time. But again, Brian, he was able to get space. He took a shot from outside the box. It deflected. Messi read the play faster than a defender. And of course, you know how much I love a Cuchara goal. I mean, this thing, this is like, for I was thinking about this. In this moment, if this happened to me, it's like I would go left or right. I would never think top shelf, you know? Right. And Messi just, I mean, you look at the technique he just does on that. He hits it so beautifully over the keeper that he basically escorts the ball into the net, you know? Right. And, I mean, it was just such a beauty, and, and that was the game winner for sure. So, again, Messi with, like you said, the 50th hat trick, just amazing, amazing stats. Yeah, I think that 85th-minute one off of Alenia's shot, I think that might have been the one that got me to well up because it was set up by Sergio Roberto and Carlos Alenia. Alenia takes the shot, and really, it, I, you know, I kind of wish he'd have gotten it. To be honest, I mean, I'm not I'm not against Messi scoring goals or Messi getting hat tricks. I'm all for that. But the work that Alenia did on that play and the sh- it was a good shot too. But Vasilik saved it. I almost wish Alenia would have scored on that instead. But 
I think that was the one that got me emotional because it was so it was so Masia related La Masia related. You know, you got the the, yeah. the new the new promotion from the B team, the somewhat older Academy product, and then of course the 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 shining jewel of La Masia, Leo Messi, all working together to score this goal. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I didn't think of that. But again, I just like to see that Elena came in, but more importantly, just the 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 way we dominated that second half, we I think we allowed Sevilla two scoring opportunities, if that. I mean, Ter Stegen didn't really have to make saves in the second half like he did in the first. And also, we never heard from Untiti. Right. Right? I mean, because Busquets and Rakitic were protecting those guys. PK looked fresher at the second half. I mean, really, we dominated possession. Sevilla had no answers for Dembele. And Messi was able to run wild through the middle. So it was just really great. And that easy, like... The last goal, you know, where Suarez finally got through his drown was because Messi was so dynamic in the middle. He leaves this amazing over-the-top ball that goes right to Suarez, and Suarez was able to finish with the chip. But, you know, that doesn't happen if they're not, con- you know, if they're not thinking about Dembele on the right, right? Because that Suarez was able to find a, cr- a crack between the two central defenders. He runs through it, reads it with Messi, and that's game set Guillermo. Right, and then he finally gets to... Uh... You know, score a goal. Yeah. <laughs> break break his duck. <laughs> yeah. Thanks after nine games. <laughs> yeah. So we have two Classicos coming up this week, one in the Copa del Rey, one in La Liga. Are you excited? I'm nervous. Nervous. Yeah, I'm nervous because, I mean, it's great that we were able to get this second half win because obviously playing at Sevilla is such a difficult place to play. You know, I'm hoping, you know, I will pray this week that he will use this lineup against Real Madrid, because can you imagine, Brian, Dembele against Marcelo? Oh, that is delicious. He'll tear him apart. Exactly. I mean, why wouldn't you just use this lineup? It gives you the defensive shape that you need, and it allows us to be super dynamic with speed on the flanks and Suarez bullying Varane or or Ramos that's up there. So I really hope, I really hope that Valverde uses this lineup. But again, I think, you know, ultimately we will prevail. I just have this feeling, especially playing two in the Bernabeu. That's really never happened before, two back-to-backs. It'd be some sort of feat if we can come with two victories. And I think the way Messi's playing lately, and also if we have Dembele playing as he is, I think that'll definitely give us a little bit more of advantage going forward. So we'll see. Yeah. If if you had to choose, I mean, obviously we hope to win. We hope to win both of them. Mm-hmm. But if you had to choose between Copa del Rey or La Liga – what would you choose? Yeah, so for this week, I would definitely like beat them in Copa del Rey. And then if we lost in the La Liga this weekend, I would probably choose that the best because then we knock them out of Copa del Rey and they're not going to win La Liga. So Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's, and it's, we still have a decent lead on, on Atletico. We could, you know, we could still work it out. Exactly. And that's the thing. You know, we, we still have a, a good margin of points, but also like – you know, best case scenario, obviously two victories. But if we, if I had to pick one, I would like to knock them out of Copa del Rey so they can only be in basically in Champions League, and and go from there. So I'm I'm excited. It's going to I'm going to watch the game Wednesday night at a bar. Saturday night, don't know. I'm going to kind of decide and see how I feel about it. So what about you? Where are you going to watch the games? I'm going to be quietly at home. <laughs> are Just, you going to record yourself? I'm going to record myself because I'm anticipating <laughs> some some pretty nail-biting moments where and i think it could make for a fun audio collage 
of the <laughs> the weird sounds that I make when things almost happen and don't quite happen. So yeah, I'm going to set up a microphone. I'm just going to get my snacks, get my own TV on and just watch it in the comfort of my own home. Maybe maybe my buddy Connor will come over because he's he's a soccer fan. But yeah, I'm, I'm, cool. I'm not going I'm not going out anywhere. I'm not taking a trip anywhere. I'm just going to stay yeah. at home, keep it simple. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, everyone's geared up because, you know, for example, I was watching the sports show today and they already have the countdown after today when Real Madrid plays like that's all they're going to be talking about, especially since it's never been back to back in the Bernabeu. So that's going to be really huge. So I wonder if, you know, Barcelona is going to stay the whole time or if they're going to go back and come back. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, that that would I would think that would definitely affect their the second game. Yeah, whether they yeah. travel back and then come again or whether they just camp out in Madrid for an extra day or two. I would camp out in Madrid. I just think it's much easier. You know, you have the Wednesday night game and then a Saturday night. Yeah, and I, I mean, think they have a, the money. They could afford yeah, the hotel. I, exactly. <laughs> I, I think it is a four o'clock kickoff, too. Yeah. And it, the only problem, I guess, would be um, space to work out and to train at yeah. while you're there. Because oh, I, no, I wouldn't want to go into that second game with just two days of of rest and no training yeah yeah yeah. i mean they can they can definitely find a place to train but uh it's a saturday night kickoff so it's prime time for both of these matches yeah yeah so i'm excited yeah well i'm sure everyone out there listening is excited i'm excited Uh, i'm just going to be expressing my excitement uh in in private at home but we'll be back next week and we'll talk about both of the classicos it's gonna be big Special thanks to Max Bluer this week. This has been a production of Barca Talk, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, editing and music by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Gabriel Quiroga. Remember, we can't make this show without you, the listeners. To see the premiums you get with a monthly contribution of support, follow the link to Patreon in the episode description. Bisca Barca. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.